So, Painter, we've we've talked a lot during the offseason about how like Auburn has kept us between football and men's basketball has kept us with so much news to talk about that we hit we hit these these podcasts and we have plenty to discuss usually. This one a little bit lighter on news, but I wanted to open today's show with probably the biggest news of, of since we've talked last uh, involving Auburn, and that is, of course, President Jay Gouge announcing that he is going to retire for a second time as Auburn's president. Um, I, really interesting here because he like stepped into Auburn in a really good spot, uh, in a really tough spot, but like I say good spot because he, you know, he was he was a really popular president the first time around and he helped steady the ship and um now he's like, "All right, retirement, that was fun. I want to go back to doing that again." I'm really leaving this time. Don't ask <laughs> me to come back. He said, "Quote, rather than to continue, I think it's important for you guys to start thinking about a new president." I love that because like He's he's a he's a highly ranking academic, obviously, but that quote itself is amazing to me. Here he's like, it's very casual. It's I'm like, too old. Let me do something but, different. But also the language is so casual. It's like I think it's important for you guys to start thinking about a new president. Like like uh, goodbye. Hire uh, a better one this time. He said uh, they'll go through the search process. So obviously I'll stay until they decide. Normally those processes take months, but if they start now, the longest timeline will probably be next May. So within the next 12 months, you can probably see Auburn having a new president. Uh, here's another quote from me. He said, quote, when you're 15 years old, it takes forever to get 16 and drive a car, said Gooch, who is 74. I'm reading this, by the way, from uh, Abby Driggers of the Up Like Auburn News. Uh, picking up that quote again. But when you get my age, I had a birthday last year, so you keep having these things. <laughs> he, said, he told reporters that he does not plan to stay in academia at this time and will, quote, probably retire. He plans to stay in Auburn because everyone who retires just stays in Auburn. I mean, there was that run where like every uh, football coach that was still alive was living in Auburn. Um, at one point, people just don't leave here. Um, as as I know, you're a good example of that. <laughs> a I'm a pretty I'm a pretty good example of that as well now too. But you said it, Painter, earlier. You got to hire a better one this time. Well, Be- the good thing for because Stephen Leaf was an absolute disaster is that it made him more popular probably than ever mm-hmm. by setting the backdrop of what he did for a long time for a right. number of years to the short-lived tenure of Stephen Leaf, the guy who was widely, if not universally, disliked mm-hmm. and unpopular among what seemed to be normal people like ourselves people who actually have a say in the matter, people right. that work for the school, et cetera. Yeah, and I think in terms of athletics, both his first tenure and his second tenure, Leith, uh, sorry, not Leith, <laughs> Leith definitely not, but Goose was definitely one of those guys that like let the athletics folks kind of cook and like trust in those people to do their jobs and let them do it, whether it's athletic director. You know, he, he seems to be a pretty big supporter of Alan Green. I think Alan Green, you know, that's a you know he's had an ally in him i'm sure the next guy will you know or girl i should say would would probably be an ally as well um but it'll be very interesting now you said it though they've got to hire a new one right hanger we tried to speak it into existence a few months ago when auburn had had let go of gus malzahn that bring him back know that you were going to be the next head coach (laughs) at auburn now here's my new thing as as an alum as someone interested in academia i think i think that's i think i think the time is right i think i think i think kenneth painter sharpless should be the next president of auburn university i would be a solid choice for all of you out there who like guja's style of letting the professionals who were hired to do their jobs as you said letting them cook i would do this because i would simply take the salary and go places and just I would like not bother and just be anyone. the public just be the public face like kind of just be the um well, yeah. How much work is involved in being the public face? You know, if I've got to shake some hands at some nice events right. with some rubbery chicken, I can handle that. Okay, maybe I, a few speeches here. You're not a, you're not big on micromanaging. No. Um, so I mean, not and I think you're not big on micromanaging in general because it sucks. But secondly, you know, you, it takes how, a lot of effort. <laughs> why would you? What could you micromanage in this situation? It's like, yes, continue to do the work. The Kim E department really needs to step it up. Here yeah. are my two cents on that. So. Kind of going off of this a little bit. If you're going to become the president of Auburn University, which we're already we're already going to start the campaign. Start consult, the campaign now. Consult Alan Green. Uh, hashtag this. tweet tweet it, folks. Hashtag painter for AU Prez. Let's let's get that going. Get that going. Uh, you can do the number four. You can spell out F O R. Doesn't matter. Um, 
but painter for AU Prez. We're going to go ahead and get that trending. Uh, the mailbag this past weekend, for those of you in the inner circle who read it, had a question in there uh, from, from our good friend Robbie on Twitter. Uh, he asked me uh, if you had uh, Raymond Harbert money and you had a bunch of mi- millions of dollars to give to Auburn. Uh, what building are you renovating slash tearing down and building a new one to be renamed after you? And why is it Parker Hall? So painter, my idea to tear down Foy and build like this giant, like state of the art food court for Auburn oh. students. This is going to be a priority one in your administration, right? Yes. Also, the, the Justin Ferguson food court is going to be the is going to be the, the gold standard. The Justin P. Ferguson food memorial. The middle name starts with a D. Yes. P. is good. Did and you guess it was P? I just like giving people the middle name P. I think it's a subconscious thing because my middle name starts with a P. Nonetheless, neither here nor there. It is kind of funny that one rolls off the tongue. You know, P. P. Last name is definitely definitely a good one. We will be tearing down the Haley Center and not putting anything back. Now, some of you will think that this is logistically a nightmare. I don't care. I'm president. We will just do a large green space addition Another by one. subtraction. <laughs> just, just two giant green spaces on this side. More tailgating spots. That's more, right. more, more white tents. Maybe a kickback from the white tent group of guys. See, how, <laughs> see what I can work out from them. Uh, so what, so I answered that question. I talked about, uh, you know, I only, I only had one class in Parker. My mom was in Parker most of the time because she was a math education major. Um, Titchener, like Titchener's fine. That's again, where I spent most of my life. In. Who needs math? Uh, student center. You could do that again. What, what are we doing here for you? Are you just going to tear? Is that your, is Haley that your, to me is such an eyesore. I realize that logistically it doesn't seem wise to tear down like one of the, they just want to build like a bigger county. Yeah. They just want to build a bigger version of Haley and it's like maybe a newer looking version of one. That's all they got. We just think about how many people are in there. There's yeah. Well, so it's like many three classes. floors of like classrooms yeah. and some offices. And then the rest of the, is, as far as I'm aware, essentially just offices, hundreds of them. Probably not practical to do what I'm suggesting, but deal with it. It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the weekend edition. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us on this fine internet radio program. Justin Ferguson and Painter Sharkless right here live from the firehouse. Like we said in the open there, not a ton going on in the wide world of Auburn sports in terms of news. Um, If you listen to us with the Inner Circle, if you're a part of the Inner Circle and you have our our midweek podcast, we did have a pretty newsy one coming up. Or I should say not coming up. In the past, uh, the last one we did last week where we talked about Roe Torrance and Desi Sills, name, image, and likeness. Uh, we got on a tangent about uh, POD at one point. So you can check that out, uh, auburnobserver.com. Sign up there and get and get the premium podcast for those of you who aren't on it already. But, Painter, um, we have got uh, we've got some things to discuss today, a couple things I wanted to, to hit on, a pr- real off-season kind of laid-back uh laid back in terms of topics wise we want to talk about um i guess the big news over the last few days in terms of college football as a whole was the news of the college football playoff uh expansion plans that are going to be talked about later this week the new 12 team format um you know some of the ins and outs of that we'll talk about i'm sure moving on because that's going to be a big topic here over the next few weeks uh the monday newsletter of the observer is going to be on that so i'm not going to dig into it too too much. I'll save that for save that for the newsletter uh, on Monday. But we, we may we may get to that some a little bit. But I wanted to start today. Um, you know, one of the big off season things we did last year, and and the ones that we're doing, uh, or the one that we might start doing a little bit more this year, um, is just trying to have a topic where it's the very typical off season thing to do. You take a position group on the football team and you break it down. And you dissect. A lot of people do this for the written. We're going to do it a little bit for the podcast, just to give us something to talk about. And I wanted to, I wanted to talk about this group specifically anyway, because it seems like this whole offseason, like every position group has been talked about. Quarterback, what about Bo Nix? Here comes C.J. Finley. Um, you know, Demetrius Davis. There's a lot of talk there. Running back, 
got to get that other one. Everybody, we've talked about Tank and Sean and this new offense. Wide receiver. Oh, they got they don't have much experience. They'd love to bring another guy in there. We've talked so much about the tight ends. We've talked about the offensive line needing to get better. Defensive lines added a couple of new faces. They're in a new new um, you know new new era. The edge position, defensive backs. I mean, look how many defensive back Auburn defensive backs Auburn has picked up since the end of spring practice. A lot of that's in there. And I skipped over one because I don't think we've talked about him enough. And they might be the strength of the team. I wanted to talk today uh, to start this podcast going a little bit deeper into the 2021 season and what we think about Auburn's linebackers. They're inside linebackers in this new system because they've been so drama-free and stacked with talent and depth and experience. It's like no one's – they're kind of boring. They're kind of boring. But, I, you know, from an off-season perspective, but I think when you dig into these guys a lot more – they're a whole lot. They're a whole lot more interesting than that. They're not going to be the most exciting off-season chatter, like you said. But when the season comes around, everybody's going to want to talk about them. Yeah, I mean, there's like I don't know what else to say about the group other than that they all appear to have a nice combination of talent, and then you've got some guys behind them that are also very capable. Yeah, I want. I wanted to kind of get in. I, I kind of want to get into it with um, with them them from like a player-by-player uh, player basis. You know, just we, we've talked about so many of these guys in the offseason. I feel like the linebackers kind of gotten overlooked. Zacoby McClain. Let's start just start with the top ones. Zacoby McClain decided to come back for his senior season at Auburn. Um, here's the thing about Zacoby McClain that's that's fascinating to me, and it's a stat that I, that I, I came back across a couple days ago, and I don't think this one's kind of been mentioned quite as much. You know, everybody talked about how – you know, he led the SEC in tackles last season. That was that was his big thing. He averaged 10 tackles a game, more than 10 tackles a game um, in this limited, you know, the, the shortened season, so to speak. Zacoby McClain became the first linebacker at Auburn to have 10 or more tackles in a, uh, per game in a season since Dontarius Thomas. I mean, that's how far back we're, we're going back. And then here's the other thing. I, I'm sure you remember this. You know, we were younger, we were kids, but you remember the hype though about that Dontarius Thomas Carlos. They, were, they had the ESPN cover, which was, I think was the the harbinger of doom that year because uh, I think it was '03, I think it was '02 or '03. They're on the cover of ESPN and they immediately go lose to USC and Georgia Tech back to back. But he's the first one since Thomas to do it in '03 in terms of production. The guy directly before that who had more than ten tackles in a season um, for Auburn was Takeo Spikes. So, I mean, you're talking about rare air for Zacoby McClain, and I think the numbers speak for themselves, but I don't know if we're talking enough this offseason when we talk about the hype and there's so many question marks about Auburn. When you look at this linebacker group, how stacked they are, is that Zacoby McClain's out here doing stuff that we haven't seen from Auburn linebackers in a long long time, and the ones that have have been some of the best to ever come through here. Dontarius and Carlos, both with the very awesome uh, neck pads. Mm Mm-hmm. When is that going to come back in? Because style is cyclical. Right. Um, I, I, Such a good look for a linebacker. So the last one I remember who had it like in college that did it a lot, by the way, that was the 2003 uh, cover, which is a really good cover, Rage. by the way. Um, uh, if, I, if I remember correctly, Reuben Foster wore one. Like Reuben Foster had the biggest, and and that's the that's the thing about the neck roll of linebackers. If you're putting that back there, you're basically saying I'm ready to hit you so hard that I'm going to need this. I sort of equate it to having like the shiniest or most colorful soccer cleats. Like mm-hmm. if you are going to do that, you need to be good. You need to be able to wear the neck roll or to have. The flashy, the flashy boots, and be able to back it up. I'm glad you brought that up because I was on sports call last week, and we were talking about cleats at one point. Uh, and I was talking about in soccer, I always wanted the more obnoxious ones um, because you know that's just kind of the style I wanted to. Do. <laughs> what was what was your what was your style? Did you go with just the plain Jane ones, or like you said, you, I mean, if you're going to wear the flashiest and the and the most uh, the the most high end ones, you need to you need to have the game to match it. So what was what 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 was your what was your style? I usually had somewhere probably in the middle, okay. like a, like they were not particularly flashy. I did though have, and I got these from Ross, dressed for less, um, like some really nice cleats that had managed to actually a friend Gardner Johnson mm-hmm. gave them or sold them to me for like what he got at Ross because I have Ross- surprisingly large feet for someone who is very short. But, What's that shoe do you have? 
Uh, it depends. Even an eleven and a half or twelve. So wow. It just depends That's, on. Yeah, the I wear a twelve, and I'm significantly, significantly taller, taller than you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so shout out to Gardner for letting me have what were the nicest cleats I ever had, and they were kind of loud. They were what like were these they? lime green. I oh, don't remember what were they Nikes? Yeah, they were Nikes. Yeah. They were they were great shoes, super lightweight at the time. Like probably some of the better. They were definitely the best cleats I'd ever gotten to wear. And probably a little bit, speaking of like the flash and the flare, mm-hmm. a little bit out of my weight class, to be yeah. quite honest. Yeah. Well, people who might who might know me is I'm a I like Nike stuff a lot. The other stuff I wear a ton is Puma. I wear a ton of Puma stuff, and I always got the obnoxiously colored Puma cleats. Like I wanted to look like Mario Balotelli out there. And uh, my basketball shoes that I wear, Painter can attest to this. The basketball shoes I wear now are Miami Vice colored Puma high tops, <laughs> like the knit sock ones. Um. Anyway, uh. Ross, for some reason, just to go off a quick little detail, Ross, for some reason, gets the weirdest, like, influx of shoes like that. You can always find It's going to be hit or miss. A lot of times, like, you're not... But they're always, like, giant sizes, too. Like, you can go get, like, size 18. Like, one time I saw these, like, they were, like, size 18 Mike Trout cleats, which are, like, retail at, like, an exorbitant amount of money. And it was, like, they were in Ross, and it was, like, well, somebody has to, like, you have to be a large person and also a large baseball player to wear these uh, Marshalls also. We don't have TJ Maxx. Same company. Big fan of Marshalls. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Ross. If you can find what you're looking for, sometimes it's a needle in a haystack. Not always the most organized, but when you find a deal at Ross, ah. Uh, Ross sponsor the podcast. We know you. We know you there. Two we've things, been chilling. Two things. Two things about Ross that are that are fascinating. Number one, uh, there was a time in my life where I collected. Um, that I, I collected soccer jerseys and I have a, I still have most of them in my closet. I don't wear them very much anymore because they're very, very hot, especially this time of year. Um, but I had like 30 or 40 of them at, uh, at some point. Uh, Ross used to be the place and you still can find them where they just get random closeout ones where um, I remember I got like a, it retailed like $150 uh, Philadelphia Union jersey there for some reason. And, you know, I had that for a while. Second thing I want to point out that has always baffled me about Ross, the Ross and Opelika on Fridays and Saturdays, I've always noticed this on their door. On Fridays and Saturdays, they're open till 11 p.m. And my question is, why do you have to go to Ross after 10 o'clock and after 9 o'clock at night, honestly? But, like, what's going on at Ross? Ross, sponsor us and then tell us all of your secrets while you're, while you're staying open so late. Anyway, going back to Zagoe McLean, because he's doing stuff that Don Terry's Thomas, he of the awesome neck roll, uh, hasn't, you know, hasn't done. Zagoe, his stats were so so good last season. Um, I think think CFB Film Room had him down only missing two tackles all year, which is an incredible rate. Um, I mean, of course, if you make as many tackles as he does, you're not going to miss very many, but... Just an incredible tackle rate last season. Um, high, high level of production. And not a guy that necessarily jumps off the page at you. He's like, size-wise, people would say the same thing about Owen, and we'll get to Owen in a second. But like Owen had also, has all these like physical traits that make him just out of this world good. Zacoby doesn't like Zacoby doesn't run the fastest for you. He's not the strongest dude around there. He's not the most agile guy in the world. But the dude just goes out there and makes plays and People have been talking. People talked to him up when he was an underclassman. He's really turned it loose here recently, and I mean, Auburn doesn't have this super deep history at linebacker in the last. I mean, you know, I think the last linebacker before Deshaun Davis, before Deshaun Davis, the last linebacker to, and we know KJ Britt's gotten drafted as well. But before Deshaun, I think the last linebacker to get drafted technically was Will Herring. You know, and safety that safety linebacker thing that you know he did the next. Auburn didn't really Auburn have hadn't that. really had a bona fide star at the next level. I mean, Deshaun no. had a short lived career. KJ is a curious. We talked about him a few weeks ago about yeah. like sort of this interesting. I think he can find a role. In role Bay. he has where like we'll see what he can do in pass coverage, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, that isn't. He's also playing behind Devin White and Levante David. Interesting stat though. I didn't realize you had to go all the way back to what probably Herring was drafted 06? after the two thousand. It was like oh six or yeah. All right. Yeah, that, that Something around those times. I think 05 was his last season. And, and, and this is and this is going to change because we all believe that Owen Papo is going to get drafted pretty highly because of his 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 frame and his 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 athletic attributes. But like a guy like a guy like Zagoba McLean has been just phenomenal. I was wrong. Herring played through 2006 and was drafted in 2007, okay. round five. There you go. Um, but Zagoba McLean is just. I mean. Here's a dude, he's six feet tall, 
He's 219 pounds at this point. But led the, t- led the SEC in tackles per game. Um, just kind of went all over the place and did so many things. I'll be very interested to see if he's a guy who gets maybe some all-SEC looks. Probably second team, but like all-SEC looks in the, in, the, in the middle of the year. Or in the preseason, I should say. Um, he just – he, he, he does so many things so well for Auburn. And when we talk about this defense for Derek Mason, so much of so much of what they do is they want to set the edges right and they want to funnel stuff towards the middle. They want to get you know, they want to make sure the traffic go if you set the edge well with your with your edge defenders and your cornerbacks are good in run support and your safeties and your nickels are good at it, the defense is I mean, the offense is gonna have to play towards the middle. Well here's the thing the middle of the field is where a guy like Zakoby McClain is. It's the strongest area of the field for Auburn. So when you think of like, hey, Auburn could have a really good defensive season in 2021, I think it's because this defense is built to funnel things towards the best two players on the team, or the best unit on the team, I should say. Not best two players. I mean, you can I mean, you can make a really good argument for both of those guys. But I would also say, I would also say if, if, you're, in, if you're in Auburn shoes here, you know, look at – Derek Mason's success success at the at the linebacker position over the years. Look at a guy like Zach Cunningham. Zach Cunningham was unreal good, you know, all SEC type of player at Vanderbilt. Was a second rounder, and because he was so instinctual and so like he wasn't the fastest and the strongest and the most agile and wasn't you know didn't hit the hardest in the world. But he got a lot of tackles and made a lot of plays because his instincts were really really good and this system. Fed stuff to him. I think Zakoby McClain's it right there. Zach Cunningham didn't know he was a Pinson Valley guy. Yes. So Vanderbilt has had that little run. Uh, Jordan Matthews also an Alabama kid that that got up to that got up to Vanderbilt. Um, but yeah, yeah, Pinson Valley. Uh, this is a Do you really. Know if they updated his recruiting profile because he's a four star now, and he may have been a four star coming out of Pinson Valley, but sometimes. The things get updated when a player has a nice mm-hmm. career. Yeah, let's. And, uh, and Cunningham, you know, he like I think there were a few four stars that Mason was able to secure mm-hmm, yeah. in his time. So it is very feasible that he was in fact a four star. Um, let's see. Class of 2013. Class of 2013. I'm pulling up a story here from the Trustville Tribune. Um, doesn't say what star rating he was though, but he was the Class 5A lineman of the season when he was at uh, when he was at. Pennsylvania Valley, so maybe. Um, let's see. He is, yeah, he was a borderline um, right on the edge of four-star. So, yeah, he might have been just a straight-up four-star, you know. But, again, not a guy that, you know, necessarily jumps off the page. He's, he's gonna, he, this dude's definitely going to be awesome. He's definitely going to be a second-round pick in the NFL. And Derek Mason, the way his defense is and the way they developed him really works. And Zacoby fits right into that picture. So, um when we talk about preseason hype this year, I think there's a lot of tank love for obvious reasons. I think people want to see Bo take that step forward. I think they want to see Derek Hall. They look at that secondary and they see Smoke and they see Roger and they see Drake Sean Miller coming in and Nehemiah Pritchett had such an awesome year last year. But it's like Zacoby McLean is in a really good spot to be one of the best defenders in the SEC this year. And um, I think Kevin Steele saw it early in him, and I think this defense is really going to help it out even more. The itch to play pool has come back for me, my friend. <laughs> okay, what 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 prompted you to say that? I've been thinking about it. I played a lot this week, and I go through phases you okay. know, where I would like to play pool a lot. And it, it struck me with gusto this week, and so I've been addicted to playing pool. And even played. Did with anything Justin I say about Zacoby McLean get you into that? Yes. Of so here's the thing about okay. Zacoby. All right, uh, I go through waves of like feeling about the linebacker core the way that I do about pool, which is that it's there, it's consistent, it's always fun, but sometimes I don't think about it. And right now I haven't been thinking about the linebacker core. I think a lot in the way, although the productivity Mm -hmm. uh, is a little different, but like we talked about Jabari and how it's like he's got all this talent. Yeah, for some reason Jabari Smith is just not discussed. And you could say something similar about Jalen, I guess, Mm -hmm. to maybe a better comparison about the linebacker core, which is like I think it's a pretty I think it's pretty fair. It's just there's no there's been no drama and there's been so much movement everywhere else that you kind of forget that there's really awesome players that are coming back. It's more conducive for the offseason to talk about the things that need to improve that are Jabari Smith signed in November and and he's been all he's been all in since since then. As 
of right now, I think there's very little about the linebacker core that needs to improve. They are consistent mm-hmm. and not controversial because there hasn't been high turnover. In fact, they got back Wooten. Yeah, so and we'll talk we'll talk deeper. about Chandler in a moment as well. Um, yeah, I think Zagobi's in a really good spot. So, Pool, you uh, I mean, nothing. You really good at it? There, yeah. I, uh, no, I'm not particularly good at it. I played like a good bit in college, but mm-hmm. it's still not enough. We to, got a pool table good. growing up, and then it was like a bad idea because there were so many of us and we were very did y'all break it no we didn't break it it was just really heavy like somebody bought it for us one year and uh i remember how hard it was to get up the stairs oh my god yeah because <laughs> it was a legit it was a legit pool table it wasn't like a you know seven or nine cute. foot huh seven or nine foot the nine foot's great changes the angles makes the game more difficult uh what's the standard I think seven might be a little more common, especially I in think the it was house, a seven, because yeah. it's just like hard to have It was in such a, a tight space, Yeah, too. it's hard to have a room on one of the bigger tables. I'm so bad at it. I'm so bad at it. Well, yes. So are you, you know, Are you? when you play, are you like taking people's money? No, I'm not good okay. enough to do that. It, it all depends on who I'm playing against. Right. And like, I can hit a semi-impressive shot, and then the next shot will like, I'm not Look, like you've never done it before. Yeah, not consistent enough. To you know, it's like I think I think people have the same I th- think people have the same thing like when they're bowling, you can like get that strike and the next one you might get like two. So uh, do I enjoy? it? Yes. Do I have some shots sometimes that might lead you to believe that I know what I'm doing? Perhaps, but then also <laughs> I tend to have a couple shots a game where it's like, well, that was uh, very terrible. So we we have hit Zacoby. He's uh, got Owen. Yeah. What what about Owen? Because I think the thing I keep gravitating back toward is. Probably playing in a different position in the NFL. Yeah, I'm. I, you know what? As you as you say this, I'm going to look up kind of what people are saying about the NFL draft with him because he is a fascinating. Kid. I remember when he was coming out of high school, people were like, "Yeah, he'll probably end up playing. Help. He, he will probably end up playing. Um, you know, safety in the NFL. Or some some hybrid of it. Yeah. I mean, I guess the only thing that could go over my head that would show my general lack of not understanding is that as the game goes more mm-hmm. pass heavy like could you see some wiggle room for smaller guys like owen playing at linebacker maybe but i i think i tend to lean on the thing we've been saying or the other people not so much we have been saying which is that probably going to involve him playing at a different position once he gets to the nfl yeah the, the interesting thing with with owen i think is and, and this is where the this is where the switch to that three four kind of comes interesting to me because all right in Kevin Steele's defense, they almost always had two linebackers on the field at the same time, right? It was a 4-2-5 look, almost always. This is, you're going to see 3-4 in certain situations, but you're often going to see that 2-4-5 look. And he's an inside linebacker here. He's not an edge player, even though he's such a really good pass rusher. Um, So I he's got the range. I mean, everybody, when you talk about Owen Pepo, it's, 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 it's range. He is a freak athlete. This is a dude who broke the national record at the Nike football camps for testing. He was winning camps when he was in the ninth grade. He is not normal. Um, I believe one of the things that was said about him by the last staff, um, uh, Ryan Russell, I think it was Ryan Russell. I don't want to miss attribute this quote, but I'm pretty sure I heard Ryan Russell say this one time. He said, if Owen, pa- if Owen would have dedicated his training to being a power lifter early on he could do it at the highest level it would make sense for russell to be the one to make that claim right i think that was i think that was what was who who it was most of the people i'm I'm already looking at here just the nfl nfl draft uh chatter with some of these guys uh with owen um is you know one of those things where he said he is you know the the sideline to sideline athleticism the ability to play in pass coverage um his 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 great agility is going to make him he can play linebacker can he play like you know i think people are going to be like how is he going to be as a run stopper right can he go can he get downhill or do you want to play him in certain situations and to me he seems like one of those dudes that in your system if you go to a dime package look or if you only have one or two linebackers on the field on a certain play you want owen to be like that because he can play like another safety he can also play like another nickel or cornerback but he's good enough to play at linebacker. And it helps because in his career at Auburn, he's had guys who are really good at getting downhill and making, and making tackles, like Zacoby McLean, like K.J. Britt, you know, next to him, that he hasn't had to be this, like, 
super, super awesome run stopper. That's that's not his skill set. But I think if he shows a lot more of that this year, on top of the fact that he's just a plug and play type of type of freak show, this is where I think this is where I think this could be a really, really good. I mean, people are talking about him as a potential first rounder next year, and it makes sense. He was a five star. He's had a really good career at Auburn. He could go three and out. And I think. If your defensive system can't use a Jacoby McClain, I mean, I'm sorry, an Owen Papo, or a Jacoby McClain, but mostly an Owen Papo, you need to find a different system. Because this dude has to get on the field at some point. The only problem is, is that Owen is Owen size. He's 6'1". He's 226. He's not, he's, not, uh, he's not Isaiah Simmons. He's not Micah Parsons in terms of size. But The currently shortest player in the NFL, at least according to Fox Sports, at is linebacker? Jatavis Brown of the San Diego Chargers at 5'11", 221. Mm. An inside linebacker. I think that's current. Yeah, I mean, I think you can. I think you can play at that, and I think he is a sub package linebacker as well, where you can put him out there and let him be like an extra defensive back for you. Um, you know, is he going to be in a three four system? Is he going to be the guy who goes downhill a ton? Maybe, maybe not. Do you, are you going to want to put him out there on the edge? You know, maybe sometimes. I I think he's very much like the Isaiah Simmons mold, and that was the easy comparison to make for the last couple of years. It's just like. You can move him around and do a lot of different things. Scratch everything I said. This article is outdated. Okay, um, but the thing with Owen, the thing that with Owen that I think really, really works for him is that this defense. When we were talking about funneling everything to inside linebacker and how a productive, instinctive linebacker like Zakovin McClain can get it done, the thing with Owen is is that. Derek Mason loves to mix and match. He loves to move things around on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and a guy like him can kind of move around and do a lot of different things. So I'm very curious to see what a defensive mind like Derek Mason is going to do with Owen because I don't think we saw much of it in the spring because it was very vanilla very early. Um, but it rocks that I've just been assuming he was going to play safety my entire time following. But that, Owen people were saying and... that coming out of high school. But <laughs> that's the thing. That's a fair assumption to make. And that might be what he ends up doing. But like. I think the more football goes to being pass oriented, and you know, we were talking about it with, just a moment ago with KJ. You need to be able to cover in space to be a linebacker in this in modern NFL. Maybe the fact that he is a little bit smaller and a little bit lighter, but can move around, means that he can stay as a as a natural linebacker. I mean that 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 might be the that might be the thing thing for him. So is it Tank and then Owen as the probably two most talented players on your roster? Given the draft potential, yeah. and Tank's in an interesting spot because of the position he plays. But. Right. Yeah, I mean Owen is Owen is one of the best you've ever had at the linebacker. Just athletically, he's one of the best players you've had. Um, and I, I'm who fills out the roles. The third is the next one, McCreary or Pritchett. In terms of physical talent or or, or draft, talent? I guess draft talent is what I'm for this at. year. Yeah. Um, McCreary, yeah. McCreary makes the most sense there. No, no, no shade on smoke whatsoever. I just think that cornerback is going to have more value than, well, than a box I mean, how many, safety. How many safeties are getting drafted in the first round routinely? It's usually, usually, usually your first safeties come late, first, early, second. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you can get really good safeties in the second round usually in in the draft. Whereas we see lots of corners going in the top ten. Yes, because it is a it is an it is an absolute. Uh, it is an absolute necessity. If you can have a cornerback who can you can lock down one side of the field is is one of the biggest weapons you have. Um, I wanted to wanted to bring this, bring this up. We were talking about linebackers. Jeff Shear, uh, the Silver Fox himself, at uh, at the at the official team website, he did a story on Derek Mason here uh, over the weekend, I believe. Yeah, it was on, posted it posted it up on Friday. Um, here's a quote I wanted to point out from it from from that interview. Uh, he says this we want to this is Derek Mason he said quote we have to be able to embody the values we believe in we want to be able to stop the run part of that is being able to build a wall and set an edge if people can't run downhill they're going to put it on the perimeter we've got to eliminate explosive plays eliminate explosive plays we've got to confuse the quarterback eliminating explosive plays is about finishing confusing the quarterback is about giving him pictures that don't always look consistent in terms of what he wants to do you you want to work so that you know and understand what you're supposed to do. That when it's time to do it, we pull the trigger, we play hard, we play fast. So those are the things that he was talking about. They want to be able to stop the run, set the edge, eliminate explosive plays, and part of that on top of that, that fourth thing is confusing the quarterback. Owen Papo is key to confusing a quarterback. If you can move this dude to the edge, down the middle, 
maybe even line him up on the outside in certain plays, maybe drop him back looking like a safety. He's so good at moving around that right before the snap, I mean, he can do so much, so much for you. Last season for Auburn, you would say behind Derek Hall and Colby Wooden and maybe Big Cat Bryant in terms of statistically, your third or, so third or fourth best pass rusher you had on the team was Owen Papo, right? And Kevin Steele's defense started blitzing a little bit more towards the end of his time because they didn't have Derek Brown, they didn't have Marlon Davidson, they didn't have that consistent front four pressure as much as they they were used to. So he started blitzing some more, and it worked. Um, you know, a higher rate of blitzing, but like it wasn't like Owen was blitzing a ton. He was just very productive when he did, and and so. To me, when I say, you know, Jacoby McClain, this defense is built for him, all right? Owen Papo is built for Derek Mason because Derek Mason is a dude who wants to move around and do a variety of things. And, uh, I mean, that top two, this could be one of the best linebacker groups in the country. That, that, that top duo is so, so good, even though they're not these, like what you have at Alabama, those inside linebackers at Alabama that are 6'3", 6'4", you know, they're not a Dylan Moses, there's not a Dylan Moses on the on on this at this linebacker position, but even smaller guys like that, I think, are proven that they can play above their weight, so to speak. When you can tackle like Zacoby McLean does at a high level, and you can do so many things at a very high level like Owen Papo does, you can overcome a lot of those things. And so it's going to be interesting to see how that works in the system because these guys are going to be able to funnel everything right back down the middle. All right, so we know that the starters look good, maybe some of the best in the conference, if mm-hmm. not the country. Where does that leave us with the reserves who have maybe a little less experience, but I think there's still some reason for optimism once you end up losing those top two guys? Well, well, if you look at it, if you look at it this way, the linebacker position at Auburn, you know, hasn't had to go deep into like reloading. You know, they did get a JUCO linebacker in the offseason in Joko Willis, amazing name. Um, but they have, you know, some of these younger guys we're going to talk about here in a moment. They ha- they didn't have to go move heaven and earth to get a, you know, to get a uh, a Marcus Harris type or a uh, Tony Fair type or a uh, Roe Torrance type because this offseason Chandler Wooten said, I'm back. And Chandler looked really good in the spring. I thought his A-Day game, he was, he was really, really strong. And when you talk about a dude who is a leader, a vocal leader, a guy who sets the tone for his teammates, and a guy that he has never been the star in his career, but he's been very valuable whenever you talk to coaches and teammates about him, Chandler Wooten gives you that layer of security that if anything happens to McLean or Papo, you're going to be able to plug him in. It's like, all right, our third linebacker has played so much football already. He's not a superstar. He's not a regular starter, but he's just – done it he does he, he does it all at a high level and this is a guy who was a three-star coming out of high school but played in the under armor all-america game because when you watch film of him and you turn it on it's like oh he's just making plays he just goes out and makes plays really really well and i think that leadership has also been big for him because there's so much change this offseason for these guys so to have a guy like chandler wooten back out there i think is is a really cool thing especially he can be a mentor for some of these young guys who are going to be the next wave. I don't expect him to be a major game changer for Auburn like right. on a consistent week-to-week basis, but I imagine that he will do a lot of things that do benefit the room. Like, mm-hmm. And I think that he will be a good piece when Auburn needs to have him on the field. Like, You can expect him to be competent. And yeah. that's nice that, all right, he's not ever going to be a superstar, but he still adds value literally on the field as a competent player and then off it as somebody – who's a voice of reason. Very very much to me like the Montavious Atkinson kind of tr- late late career after injuries uh, Trey Williams type, where it's like not a starter, not a guy who gets a ton, a ton, ton, ton of playing time compared to the top two, the starters in the, in the system. But you can't imagine not having him out there because he did give you a lot of value. Montavious Atkinson, I think, was a perfect example of that. I think this is this group's Montavious Atkinson. And we know how valuable he was that you can just plug it in. You know, if 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 one of the two stars is banged up or need a breather or you want to do something different on a certain play, you can put him in there and be ready to go. I mean, his 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 decision to come back ended up being one of the bigger ones. I think like Tyron Truesdale up front, those guys didn't have to come back. They could have just been done or they could have just said, I mean, look at Chandler. He's got a kid now. You know, he opted out last season due to COVID. He wanted to make sure that he could keep him and his family safe. 
and he could have just easily have been done or maybe go back go back closer to home uh in in Cobb County maybe but no he decided to come back and and by all uh accounts during the spring he came back with a with a flourish and I think the I think his spring game was a really good example of that nothing else to add there uh, we move on to the young crew. There's that. There's that trio. The young trio of West Steiner, Desmond Tisdall, Cam Riley. So I've been waiting on the West Steiner thing to pop. Mm-hmm. When is that going to happen? Could it be this year? Because here's the thing. Here's the thing about it is that McLean and Papo, and now that you have Wooten coming back, I mean those guys, you want to have them on the field so much so that you know you're going to get limited opportunities to see the Steiners and the Rileys and the Tizzles of the world because it's just like. Okay, they're not going to be they're not going to be heavy, heavy minutes. Steiner might be coming really soon to popping. Athletically, he checks a lot of those same boxes as a guy like Owen Papo. I mean, those testing scores are very similar to him. Like he he he's had some in fact he might have even broken one of Papo's records or two of them uh during his time uh in high school. Double check on that, but you know, we're just shooting from the hip at this point. Uh, this is from Owen during during uh, after the 8-8 game. They asked him, do you, do you see Wesley Steiner as a future leader for this defense? He said, me and Zacoby, we were talking to KJ about it too. He's out there this spring. He made a huge jump from last year. I think that by the time me and Zacoby leave, man, I think he's going to be a guy who's going to step up and make a huge impact. You can tell he really wants to be good. He asks a lot of questions, and he wants to be coached a lot. So I think his future is very bright. Those guys think they see it in him right now, and it just it's just that timing where it's how many times you're going to get to see him on the field. This is where I think the interesting snap count, rotation count, whatever you want to call it, for this linebacker group in 2021 is going to be very fascinating for me to see because Zagoba McLean and, and Owen Papa, both those guys could be in the draft next year. They could be done. You want to get those young guys out there on the field, but you want to balance having that and putting your best best crew out there. But we saw last season when they didn't have Wooten, when KJ Britt got hurt, those dudes were on the field so so much. So like, how much is that? How much of that balancing act do they pull off at the linebacker positions? It's going to be really interesting to see. Where does that take us next? That will take us next to Cam Riley, and so Cam Riley is a guy I was very fascinated with coming out uh, in, in spring practices. Cam Riley is huge. Um, he is you know a ton a ton of upside here with with Riley because uh, you know in the offseason or before spring practice I thought six five two nineteen maybe not an inside linebacker as much in this system but could they turn him into an edge rusher could he be an edge guy they kept him at linebacker he's been at linebacker uh, for a while I think they've they've talked about possibly moving him around and maybe seeing some seeing some things happening uh with him um towards the end of spring practices from jeff schmetting earlier this year the inside in spring practices he said we started maybe kind of moving around a little bit kind of experimenting in different spots with him i'm very curious to see with the edge position moving forward and the fact they went and got Eculiota and they got dylan brooks they still could like who else is kind of in that next wave you know with Derek hall who's going to be stepping up there with him who's next after that is it a romello height you know is caleb johnson going to break out those kind of guys be very interesting to see if Cam Riley, if his home's going to be more on the outside or the inside moving forward. Because I mean, he's got he's got all the physical tools in the world. He's six five, two nineteen, very very fast, very explosive first step, um, rangy. And I just think that frame, if you if you turn that into an outside guy, it could work. But at the inside, also could work as well. Because if you're if you're six five and two nineteen, I mean, you can still I mean six five, you can still put a lot more weight on, and you could be one of those just like cyborg linebackers. Almost two thirty, and he's like six foot tall. Yeah. Yeah, those dudes are like <laughs> – I think Owen said it during spring. They're going to have everybody looking like Marines. Um, yeah, there's a very very compact, very, very, uh, you know, very, very strong, you know, dynamite and small packages kind of things. But Cam Riley is like, I'm big. I'm big. Cam Riley looks like a basketball player. That's, I mean, but he was also a dude that, you know, was a – was a sprinter in high school and, and at his size. He, he has he, – he strikes a lot of – a lot of like background similarities to me with Derek Hall, except for the fact that he's just I'm on the field down in the middle and I do a lot of different things. So I, I, I'm interested to see what Cam Riley uh, brings to the table. Jacoby McLean is listed as six foot two nineteen. Mm-hmm. Owen Popo is listed as six one two twenty six, and Steiner is six foot two twenty nine. To give you a little bit of a sense of Riley's sort of I guess comparative wiriness, mm-hmm. if you will. 
Yeah. Yeah, he, he is he, he is kind of gangly compared to these guys. A dude who sits into that size range, though, Des Tisdall, Desmond Tisdall, six foot two thirty six. Thing about Des Tisdall, we didn't see much of him in the spring because he was limited. He was he was banged up. Um, played in a few games last season, got on the field in that blowout against LSU, and and, and made some made some big plays. Highly rated guy coming out of high school, solid four star, one of the best in the state of Georgia. He played at Wilcox County. He's another one. Like if you're looking for that next wave. They've got the pieces. This is, I mean, this linebacker group. If you look at their scholarship linebackers they have right now, eight of them, five of them are former blue chips. That's the best ratio on the entire team of having that many guys at that uh, position. When you have McLean, Papo, Riley, Steiner, Tisdall, all four or five star guys. Wooten was very close to being a four star coming out of high school. Joko, Joko Willis is a highly rated uh, JUCO player. And then there's Cameron Brown, who, again, don't want to, I mean, every time, I think you don't want to sound patronizing whenever you talk about a player like this. It was like Cam Brown was a very low-rated guy coming out of high school, two-star, three-star, depending on who you looked at. Of course, his older brother is one of the best players to ever come through here. You know, he's still around, and he's going to still have some opportunities, and I think special teams, you know, find a way to get on the field in, in different ways. That might be his role for him. But, like, this is a group that on on the whole is really, really strong. Um, and that next wave, like, how much do you play a guy like Cam Riley this year? How much do you play a guy like Wes Steiner, Des Tisdall? Like, how much do those guys get on the field? Because you want to make sure you put your best foot forward with McLean and Papo and, and Wooten. Joko Willis, they also got him because they wanted some more depth of that linebacker spot moving forward. But how much do you balance out developing those guys by getting them some on-field experience and also – making sure that your best players are on the field. This is where Alabama and to some extent a team like Clemson's advantage comes into play Mm -hmm. in my mind is like Alabama beats everyone so badly that by the midway point of the third quarter, they can start putting in reserves and getting them significant experience. Like if you play a quarter to a quarter and a half in most of your 12 games, the guys who are reserves end up getting a lot of experience as freshmen and sophomores. And then you look at Clemson's schedule Mm -hmm. and Clemson is a talented team. I'm not going to knock them. But I think there was some chatter online recently about Clemson not playing like a top 40 team in the regular season. Is that, have I got the numbers right? Yeah, it's like, yeah. And like Clemson can't do anything about that, but like they're going to crush everybody. And so for their backups. I think it's, I think it's Georgia is the only top 40 SP plus team they play in the regular season. That's right. I forgot. They play Georgia, which is going to be a banger. But again, it's going to be one of those games that even in this new. Is that their opener or is that early in the season? Yes, it's opener. Oh, Lord. And if I remember correctly, that's happening around the same time Auburn's playing Akron. And so it's going to be like, there's going to be a lot of rubbernecking, I think, uh, for among Auburn fans during that game. Just kind of looking over me like, let's see what's going on. And and that's the funny one to me because it's Clemson, Georgia, they have to go to Charlotte and play. You know, not even in the middle, not in one of those. They have to go to another state that's and that north. Also, of a, it's like this game would be much more fun if it were at if it were. At and Death if you remember Valley correctly, there was a Clemson. There was a Clemson Georgua home and home 11, 12, 13, and fourteen. Because oh, I believe okay, it, okay. or yeah, around then. Because I remember NCAA fourteen. It's one of the default games in the dynasty mode. That's one of the first. Like, if you load up Dynasty mode and just play it, Clemson George's early on. Remember, I think Gurley had the big kick return uh, in, in, one of the, in one of those games. Um, they play a lot. And, um, you 38-35, know. 38-35, Clemson won the 2013 mm-hmm. matchup. Yeah. And so. An 8-versus-5 matchup. By, yeah. And by so, this, this another one like this one's going to be a banger, too. It's just, but you're right. These are going to be better in, in not. One of, the, one of the team's home state. I don't really care who. And it seems like. The neutral sites like getting put to death right yeah. now. Um, we're seeing some more series getting lined up, and like again, we said we weren't going to go too too far into the playoff talk. Um, but like, if the playoff is expanding to twelve games, and we've already seen it, I wrote about it a few weeks ago. We're already seeing a team like there's a switch coming in a few years where Georgia and Alabama, well, Alabama will play two Power Five teams a year. Georgia will play three because they play Tech as well. They play Tech every year. It's almost year. as if expanding the playoff doesn't ruin the regular season. No. And anyway, I will make I'll make one more. Canal. I'll make one point. I'll make one point here. I think there's some fans who are like, oh, you don't want to you don't want to ruin the regular season or devalue it. I'll say this: Auburn fans in 2017, you beat Georgia and you beat Alabama. They were both number one in the country back to back, and you still didn't get in. 
So, like, like, and I know it was because you lost to Clemson and lost to LSU and then you lost to Georgia in the SC Championship game, but in that system, you would have been in, right? You would have been rewarded for beating two of the best teams in America, the two teams that played for the national championship weeks later. You would have at least gotten a spot in, in the dance. So that, I mean, the fourth team, that one kind of devalued the value. I mean, devalued the value of those wins. That's a weird, awkward sentence, but I'm not writing. I'm talking. You were right. 2014 was the other season, and Georgia got its revenge, 45-21 over Clemson that season. So mm-hmm. they've split the last two meetings they've played. That might have been one of the last times Clemson got thumped. Like, that might be one of the last true times they did it because they, they started figuring it out there pretty soon after that. Let's see. Yeah. But I got on that train just because it's like with Auburn's linebackers, mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to be in a ton of positions this year where they're just crushing opponents. Now, the first couple matchups, maybe. But then definitely. once once they get into SEC play, they're I think probably— it's, I, think it's, I think week two is definite. I think week one's— Honestly, it would the, be a shame. Honestly, the way Auburn. Akron played last, the way Akron played last year, the, Alabama State might not be that. I know much it's worse the first game of the year, but I would, mm-hmm. I would be pretty disappointed. Georgia State will be. A, I won't say Georgia State will be a challenge. Georgia State will be a step up. Georgia State's a like bowl caliber Sun Belt team. That that would be like when Auburn would play. Um, uh, when have they done Arkansas State? It's it's a very Arkansas State t- type of matchup. New season, who does? So like, I won't put Akron down too much until we've actually seen them. But they were really bad last year. So hopefully, those younger guys and those linebackers that we're talking about getting experience. I think it's can Akron. I think it's Akron, Monroe, and Texas State. I believe are like the three. Like, all right, which of these teams is the worst? Like UMass is always really bad as well. But like, they all kind of compete for like how dreadful are they? And like we talked about this also when. Um, Terry Bowden took over the Mighty Zips. Well, and then you know where Terry Bowden is now? Coaching high school? No, he is the head coach of Louisiana Monroe. <laughs> and his offensive coordinator is Rich Rodriguez. Wow, those guys' careers have gone the opposite direction <laughs> of how you would like them to go. Uh, Akron last season, by the way. Uh, I just want to point this out. Akron. I can't believe he has another college coaching job. I guess – People will just continue to give. Oh, that's right about Akron. That's right about Akron. They, they they put up a little bit of a fight in certain games this year, but last season Akron played uh, six games. They went one and five. You ready? Fifty-eight thirteen loss to Michigan State or sorry, Michigan State. What what am I looking at? Western Michigan. Sorry. Twenty-four ten to Ohio. Sixty-nine thirty-five to Kent State, and that nice. was when that was when Kent State was just going to put up billions of yards on everybody last year. Lost thirty-eight to seven to Miami of Ohio. They ended the season losing fifty-six to seven to Buffalo, and I'm pretty sure that was the game where Jarrett Patterson tried to go for the record, the rushing record. But they won one game, thirty-one to three. They won thirty-one to three. So a team that was one of the worst in college football last season, they beat this one other team that was one of the worst in college football last season. Painter Bowling Green went zero and five. This is where this is significant. Do you know who the head coach of Bowling Green is? Urban Meyer. No. Used to be. Once upon a time. All right, I'll give you a hint. Like Terry Bowden, he has a tie to Auburn. I don't know. Scott Leffler. Oh, that's right, because him and Van Gorder teamed up, and it was like, oh, you guys want to run back 2012? Awesome. And they did it at Bowling Green. And and boy, did they. Yeah. I can't believe the results weren't good. Terry Bowden, not a lot going on in the recent, more, more recent parts of his career. But his 90s hat game, phenomenal. J&M, any of you folks out there, mm-hmm. bring back some of these 90s-styled hat with the, with the fonts. Everybody brought back the, everybody the Pat, brought Dyer. The Pat Dyer right. hats, which are good, which are great. I'm 100% on board Bowden's with that. has got some swag with these hats. My God. Do you, that, like, do you like the tie? The, the the football coach do, of the tie I like, like that's the tie, the, actually I do like the tie see I've been a, I've been as a lazy person who doesn't like to dress up um I, I was a big fan of basketball coaches switching back to to like not wearing ties anymore I, well I do think it's silly that they wear suits it's it the is silliest silly. of course is baseball coaches wearing uniforms and I don't blame coaches for going casual especially like in the southeast where the first two months of the season are wildly hot mm-hmm. but I mean the the tie the pledge tie looks nice on Bowden I'll give him that. If that is what that is. Um, by the way, Bowling Green in 2021, after going 0-5 last year, here's their non-conference goes. Are you ready? They open the year at Tennessee. They play South Alabama, who is not good, but they're going to become good down the road. I, I firmly believe they're going to be good. Play Murray State, which they could straight up lose to. Not knowing anything about Murray State, they could probably lose to it. And uh, then they play at Minnesota. So they play at Tennessee, at Minnesota, 
it's going to be a long year for a team that is one of the worst in the country. So Scott Leffler, Brian Van Gorder are still running back. They, all those guys are back for a third year together. I mean, they're going to let them do it again. Uh, I get good for them. <laughs> like <laughs> get that congratulations. Money. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't. It's always amazing to me that people who are not particularly good at what they do also seem to be very confident. And you know, more power to you, ULM. I'm amazed that that man is just securing jobs and securing bags. And look at that; that's a nice vest. So, Louis- got some Louisiana style. Monroe, I believe you could call it the the worst job in in FBS football. Well, they have no fitting. money. They have no money, and their recruiting budget is. I think their recruiting budget is the smallest in college football. They're in a part of Louisiana that's not necessarily super talent driven, like not quite as much. And people may correct me if I'm wrong, but they're also in a section of Louisiana where there are also better teams around them. They're kind of close to Louisiana Tech, which is a much better team. Um, I think it's the toughest job in in college football. I mean, you you were just there's no history, there's no real success to speak of, and they're not good. They're just they're just not good. I mean, I think it in terms of FBS teams, it might be tougher to recruit to Wyoming. But at least Wyoming's got some success. You can dress up like a cowboy. They play in the snow. There's a cool mountain behind their stadium. We all love playing cowboy. Yeah, we're big cowboy fans over here. Bowden uses Roadshow to sell his vision to revitalize ULM. Good luck, buddy. Yeah, I had heard that that job was going to be, he was going to be more of like a fundraiser and a face uh, than an actual coach. Like Like kind of being like the CEO type. But also he's just got to raise money because... Yeah, they they just don't have any money, and the and the pandemic hit him hit them so hard, like they did everybody. But oof, oof, rough stuff, rough stuff. Best of luck though to Terry Bowden, like genuinely best of luck to Terry Bowden. I know not very many people want to wish best of luck to Scott Leffler. I'll just say this: best of luck to you, Scott Leffler, because you're gonna need it. Uh, that's <laughs> a that's a tough spot. And Bowling Green, like yeah, you know, like you said, Urban Meyer coach there, like they've got a little bit of success in their back in their background. Uh, Dino Babers did an excellent job there before he went to Syracuse, and buddy, has that job not worked? Man, I thought Dino was going to get it going at Syracuse, and it has gotten worse for them. Um, but yeah, they—I I don't know how much longer they're going to put up with that. I just sent you a graphic okay. for the ULM football team when they introduced Coach Bowden. Uh huh. Oh yeah, it's amazing. Boy, it is not good. If you want to find that, just go to Twitter. ULM football's official account, December twenty third, twenty twenty. Honestly, might retweet that just so some of you can see it. That yes. is impressive work done okay so the terry bowden picture in this from auburn bottom left corner looks like someone did it in like 2002 word yeah that's true but the i want to point out the Auburn picture because you're talking about the hats earlier not one of his strongest hats i don't think it's uh, just a au with auburn underneath it honestly could blue. do without the logo on it and just the word auburn that would be better here's my thing the he's Russell. got the he's got oh. the tie on he's got the tie tucked in do you notice that his dress shirt has the Russell Athletic logo yes, on it? Yes, it would be hard to miss something so beautiful. Do we need to bring Russell Athletic back? I would love to do that. I don't know how that will work. I imagine they can't pay what Under Armour can, but also no. Under Armour is, as we've uh, discussed here, trending in the wrong direction. Please, Russell. Go to I will Nike. say this: when it comes to like generic like gym shorts and stuff like that, Russell Athletic makes some good stuff. I don't know how I don't know how they could do long term in terms of jerseys and pants and like actual sporting equipment, but casual casual uh, athletic wear. The boys at Russell Athletic know what they're doing. Russell Athletic also spot if Russell Athletic wants to become the official sponsor of of uh, of the Auburn Observer podcast, hook us up. We'll the uh, boys are back in town. The boys that is a really tough. Well, the other thing too is is that the Akron photo of his on the far he looks scared. Like what is happening there? <laughs> it's like he's running and he's like scared of the players behind him. Oh, this is incredible! Is it truly? They, I mean, they're saving money in their uh, their graphics and social. Media they just department. have no money, man. Like if you told me like the athletic director had to put that together himself, <laughs> I wouldn't be <laughs> surprised. Like a... <laughs> um, I love how you retweeted that. Like, well, let, like, let me no, know we're... if anybody. Let me know if anybody likes or retweets that off of your like off of your retweet because that is. I need the people to be able to see what we're talking about yes. in this medium, and it is, yes. a, it is a noteworthy. And if you're listening awful to this podcast, photo. if you're listening to this podcast, go listen to. Um, or sorry, if you're listening to this podcast, go to Painter Sharpless's Twitter account at Paint Sharpless. 
and you will see the glory the glorious picture of Terry Bowden um, getting ready getting ready to take over the Warhawks. All right, that is uh, that's over an hour. That's at over an hour from us. Anything else you want to hit on? I got nothing. You got nothing. Like we said, this uh, this podcast uh, we we've had a lot of news to talk about over the last months. You know, really sort of felt like the off season for one of the first times. This feels this like a true season. off season. But basketball we're gonna... has kept us afloat. Football has certainly been busy. We have, uh, but we have kept ourselves. We're, we're, we're going to try to keep ourselves busy, and we're also going to be prepared here moving forward. We're going to have some more guests on. Painter, should we tell them about? Well, should we tell them about the guests we're trying to get? Well, one of them's so. easy. One of them's yeah, easy. The yeah. second one, the second one, I think Auburn fans will definitely listen. To this will be excited about. So, if you want to talk about, I that. think. So we've talked about having Nicole on here, I believe. Mm-hmm. Who, We're going to try to do that within the next couple of weeks. If you listen to our radio show, she was one of our best guests. She always played along with our nonsense, and it's just a really good national reporter who's plugged Broke in. Broke a lot of stuff for the playoff last yeah, week. Yeah, so she, she's been busy. We and want to talk to her about playoff stuff, NIL. She, she's interviewed and has had a, um, had a working relationship with the past with Brian Harson. So from her perspective, we want to talk talk to her about the hire and that 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 side of it as well and then david housel is also right now uh got a book coming out and yes. so we are going to talk to him about that book but also his time at auburn what he's been up to since and uh, you know just kind of get his two cents on things now that he gets to probably i think cut loose a little bit more given that he doesn't have all the responsibility he wants to so lo- so look out for both uh, conversations with nicole and david housel coming up soon yeah David Housel's essay, uh, book of essays coming up called From the Back Booth at Chappie, Stories of the South, Football, Politics, Religion, and More. Um, he's he's doing book signings at Chappie's, which is awesome. Like, I, I, I love that, uh, for one. Uh, but, yeah, Painter is uh, Painter's, uh, trying to line up a, a conversation with him. He was on our radio show a few times. And I mean, he's Auburn royalty, one of one of the one of the most famous, most beloved figures around here. And so, hopefully, we'll have that interview coming up in the, in the next couple of weeks that you guys will be able to listen to as well. I think we will put that out as a free one, just to maximize. That'll be a weekend podcast, so we can uh, maximize, or maybe throw it out as a bonus. Who knows? Depending on the schedule, uh, just to uh, make sure that enough people hear about that book and go buy it um, for for David House. So. We got all that going on. Painter, tell the folks at home how they continue to support us. We try to do these earlier in the show, and uh, I, I forgot to do it earlier in the show this time. So Great review. Subscribe. Father's Day right around the corner. Yep. Send it to a father in your life. Maybe it's your own father. Maybe it's not. I don't really care. Just get them to sign up. Sign up for them. There's gift subscriptions. You guys have been coming in clutch with that. Huge. Mash the subscribe button. We love the downloads. Tell your friends and enemies. Rate, review, subscribe absolutely we are uh we the line continues to go up in terms of subscriptions right now stonks baby seeing a lot of growth here you're giving your subscription uh your gift subscriptions to your to your uh to your loved ones and your friends we love it we appreciate you guys so so much for helping us out with that yeah as painter said rate review and subscribe to the auburn observer podcast if you give it if you give us five stars uh, and say some nice things about Painter in your Apple review. We will read it on the podcast. And we appreciate all of you guys and gals out there for helping us out with that. So, uh, like I said, tomorrow, for those of you who subscribe to The Observer, remember, $6 a month, $60 a year, you can be a part of that, get all these e- emailed into your inbox. Um, tomorrow, I'm going to write about why I think, and I think the numbers bear it out, I think if you talk about the big winners of the new playoff format, I think Auburn might be one of the biggest ones out there. I think this new playoff format, I know Auburn fans might be resistant to change because obviously it's going to be a big-time change. College football is going to look like a completely different sport whenever this flips over, but I think Auburn might be one of the biggest beneficiaries of it in the long run. So we will write about that on Monday. That will be the newsletter. We'll be back to you probably Thursday this week. We will uh, we'll have a, a, an episode of the podcast for uh, the Inner Circle. As always, send me your mailbag questions. A lot of you have been doing those a little bit earlier in the weeks, which always helps me out a ton. Email them to me or tweet them at me at jfergusonau. I'll have some more stuff about basketball and football also coming up later this week at auburnobserver.com. Thanks for tuning in. Um, hope you enjoyed the discussion of the linebackers. We're going to try to hit. Might not go as deep with this one as we did today um, because we, we had a lot to talk about with the linebackers, it turned out, because we hadn't talked about them in a while. We'll try to hit some of these position groups here over the next couple of months. Try to hit hit one every now and then. Uh, try to go deeper in it as we get ready for fall camp. So 
Um, we will uh, we'll do another one here in the near future. And uh, appreciate you guys listening. As always, Painter, final thoughts. Until then, find me at Auburn Billiards or Fat Daddies. I used to hang out down at Jack's Pool Hall. You go down there and don't do nothing at all. You wanted to play some cards, there was a game in the back. If you wanted a shot or something, you went out to Jack. If you had a little money, you was a, a grade A fool. There was a guy down there who used to shoot a little pool. Rack em up. Rack em up. Rack em up. Rack em up. Back behind the bar They said he had a wife But she left him in tears